Acts chapter 9 tonight. Acts chapter 9. We're going to go ahead and um, talk about uh, growth in the Christian life tonight. I've had a, uh, a message that I've been working on on Wednesday nights two weeks in a row. And I haven't been able to get through it, so we're going to finish up the third part tonight. And then we'll continue our series in there. But I want to talk to you about growth, <clears throat> what I believe to be a most important topic and subject in the Christian life often one that's neglected. We talk about it, but we don't do a whole lot of it. There was a number of years ago that Baptist churches used to talk about soul winning and actually do it. It was a number of years ago. They stopped doing that. They started talking about it, preaching about it, but they weren't doing it. And we now see the state of our churches. It used to be that in America, the top ten churches in the United States, all but one was a Baptist church. That's not the case anymore. Now there are no Baptist churches in the top ten. What's the problem with us? Well, we stopped doing what we were talking and preaching about. Well, I believe that that's the same case with growth in the Christian life. I'm, I'm confident that we, we talk about it and we preach about it, but we're not doing a lot of it. And as a result of that, we're seeing a very shallow Christianity, a very, um, uh, I guess, flimsy and shakable Christianity. And so tonight, I just want to touch on that subject a little bit as we begin. Now, again, we started in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. And as we look at the book of Acts, chapter 9, we're going to realize that we meet up with a fellow by the name of the Apostle. Actually, his name is Saul, who ultimately becomes the Apostle Paul. And we can take the time to read through all the book of uh, the chapter 9, all the way through verse 31, and, and get a real foundation for the, uh, the uh, uh, account. But... What we find is that, uh, let's just start in verse 9. He says, on the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nine to the sea. Oh, wait a second. That's chapter 10. Let me go back here a little bit. How about we, um, how about we go to verse, uh, uh, verse 6. Let's see. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him unto Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did he eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord in a vision uh, said in a vision, Ananias, he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. That's seen in a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered the Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to hear the, my name, excuse me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will shew him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hand on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus hath appeared that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received his sight with forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. We're going to stop there for just a moment. We just want to note those two verses, verse 18 and 19. We said, first of all, some of the new steps or some of the basic steps or first steps of the Christian life 
are, number one, we need to be saved, obviously. That's important. But the moment we're saved, we need to be baptized. We talked about being baptized. In verse 18, And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, received a scythe forthwith, and arose and was baptized. That was the step. We've discussed that at length on Wednesday a few weeks ago. And so for the sake of time, we're going to move right along. Then we also noted in verse 19, And when he had received uh, meat, he was strengthened. Then was saw certain days with the disciples that were at Damascus. We noted that uh, the Apostle Paul joined with the church family. That he became part of. He began to fellowship and he began to interact with other believers. So we see that baptism and we see the church membership is essential in the life of a Christian. The moment you're saved, you need to take those steps. You need to be baptized and you need to be joined with a local church. By the way, they do go together. And so when one is baptized, they are added to the local church. So it works out pretty well that way. Now, we've noted that. And tonight, I want to move on and discuss the third thought in this aspect of, of the Christian life, the first steps in the Christian life. First of all, we're to be baptized. Second, we're to join the local church. Third, we're to grow. See, the Apostle Paul was quick to be baptized, quick to, be, uh, to join the church, and he was quick to grow. Look, if you will, verse 22. The Bible says, But Saul increased the more in strength and, confound, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Now, we're going to see that Paul strengthened himself a couple different ways. He strengthened himself spiritually and also in a very physical, or should I say outward manner as well. So physically and then also spiritually. Notice verse 19. I just want you to see this very quickly. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. There we have some physical strength. You see that? When he received meat, he was strengthened. So he, he is strengthened, verse 19, physically. So verse 22, then, is not physical strength. Verse number 22 is spiritual growth or strength. Because now, but Saul increased the more in strength. He didn't just keep eating more food. You understand what I'm saying? So what we have is physical strength over there in verse 19. And now we have... Spiritual growth or strength in verse 22. And you can't help but see the two and understand that there's a difference, physical and spiritual. We're going to see that the Apostle Paul was very quick to grow spiritually. And that's very imperative and important in each of our lives tonight. It's one thing to talk about growth. It's another thing to preach about growth, but it's entirely different to do it. And so tonight I want to emphasize and focus our attention on growing spiritually because it is a first step in the Christian life, so to speak. It's one of the most basic, fundamental steps. It's one of the first things that has to be done in the Christian life. It begins the moment we're saved, we continue to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved. We're baptized. We join the local church and we begin to grow immediately. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord. We thank you again for all that you've done for us. Bless us in these next moments. May our hearts be stirred and encouraged as we consider and talk and, and Father, preach concerning this issue of spiritual growth. Lord, we want to grow in Christ. We want to grow in our personal walk with you. But, Lord, sometimes it's easier to talk about it than it is to do it. Help us, Lord, to be motivated, com, com, compelled, and, and constrained to do just that. 
We'll thank you, Lord, as you give us the leadership we need tonight. May your Holy Spirit truly prick our hearts. And may we be convicted, Father, concerning this area of growth. May not one person leave here without a desire to grow further and more for your glory. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Again, we noted that he strengthened himself physically and also spiritually. And we noted that Christian growth is a prerequisite. It's something right off the bat that we're to start and begin. So, first of all, we note that we're commanded to grow. We're commanded to grow. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, turn there if you would, please. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, you'll probably remember this verse because it was one that we utilized some time ago, uh, not too awfully long ago, concerning our own theme. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Notice it says here in 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen? Both, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, we're commanded to grow. First of all, growth is normal. Growth is normal. You know, stunted growth is a real problem that needs to be addressed in a person's life. In an article that I read, it states, Look for signs of stunted growth. A child may appear much shorter than others his age, or she may seem small in comparison. People may remark how little, tiny, or delicate a child seems. It says, Visit a pediatrician to make sure your child's stunted growth is not a sign of a more serious disease. Other conditions that have uh, stunted growth as symptoms include, uh, there's, this is tough, uh, Erkskog syndrome, <laughs> a rare genetic disorder, Menke's disease, seizures and mental uh, retardation, Crohn's disease, a disorder of the stomach and bowels, rubella, rubella German measles, uh, celiac disease, inability to process gluten, and thyroid problems. All of those are uh, a potential diseases that, you know, that stunted growth may be revealing. So stunted growth isn't something that is, is, is admirable. It's not something that we're looking forward to. If indeed we, we are, are in stature small, that's one thing. But if it's a, a result of a problem in our life, it ought to be resolved. But see, growth itself is, is something that is normal. The article boils down stunted growth to a very simple explanation in most cases. It's normally not, normally has nothing to do with some major disease. Stunted growth in children usually occurs when they lack specific nutrients, such as protein, carbohydrates, fats, and micronutrients, like vitamin A, calcium, iron, zinc, or iodine. When these particular nutrients or micronutrients are missing, then all of a sudden growth is not possible and it's stunted often. Because, see, for the believer, growth is to be natural. When you and I are exposed to the proper nutrients in the Christian life, growth is natural. I mean, when the preaching and teaching of the Word of God is, is constantly being driven home in our lives, when we're daily exposed to the Bible and prayer, when we have proper fellowship with other like-minded believers who are also committed to spiritual growth, guess what happens naturally? We grow. When we fail to grow spiritually... It is unnatural. That is unnatural. An old farmer frequently described his Christian experience by saying, Well, I'm not making much progress, but I'm established. 
One spring, when he was hauling some logs, his wagon wheel sank down into, and his axles even sank down into the mud. Try as he would, as much as he could, he couldn't get the wagon out. Became defeated, and there he sat on top of those logs, viewing the dismal situation. And it wasn't long later that a neighbor who had always felt kind of uncomfortable with the farmer's worn-out testimony came along to greet him. He said, well, Brother Jones, I see you're not making much progress, but you must be content because you're well-established. Now listen to me, I, I don't know why in the world or how in the world this has happened, but it almost seems at times to me that as believers we're almost proud of the fact that we haven't grown. I'm sorry, but it just seems that way to me. Nobody's embarrassed about it. Nobody, nobody's face gets, as the Bible says, blushes. You know, how's your Christian life? How are you growing in the Christian life? How many other verses have you learned? And, and how much of the Scriptures have you digested? And how much are you praying now? Oh, we don't like to talk about those personal things. Why? Why? How's a young Christian supposed to grow? I mean, how are they supposed to find the target by which they're to reach? If you don't have the solution, if you can't share with them the growth in your life, if you can't show them in concrete terms what you're doing now that you weren't doing a year ago, five years ago, or ten years ago, what are they going to shoot for? Well, what's your prayer life like? Well, <laughs> you know, I pray. You know what that is? That is a admit, I mean, that is just a confession that you don't do anything. Because if you had something organized and that you did consistently and faithfully as directed in the Scriptures, you'd be able to say, well, I pray 15 minutes a day. I pray 20 minutes a day. I get up at a certain time every day and I spend time before I eat or I go here and I do that or I go to the church and I pray at the altar or I do this or I do that. We're just trying to cover up our lack of growth many times. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Growth is normal. And if you're not growing in your Christian life, you've got some stunted growth. That's unnatural. That's just downright unnatural. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I get a little tired sometimes of sitting up on the logs being content with being well-established. I don't want to just be well-established. I want to be moving on for Jesus Christ. I want to be accomplishing something for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to be where I was last year. I want to be somewhere new today. And sadly enough, I think we're often content because we'll blame our schedules and our busyness and all of our activities and we don't have time to read the Bible and we don't have time to pray and we don't have time to study and we don't have time to look up verses and we don't have time to memorize and we don't have time to do the things that require and are necessary for Christian growth. Hey, listen, you're dying. You're dying. You're dying. It's unnatural. We had a little baby that was... Eight or nine years old, a young child that was eight or nine years old down here that was only still looked like a little baby. Couldn't couldn't eat on its own, couldn't couldn't go to the bathroom on its own, couldn't do any of those things. We'd say, There's something wrong with that baby. Something wrong with that child. It's not growing. It's eight years old. It ought to be able to walk. It ought to be able to talk. It ought to be able to go to school. It ought to be able to take care of itself a little bit. There's something wrong with that child. There's something wrong. It's unnatural. And yet that's where most Christians are today in their Christian lives. Five years down the road, ten years down the road, they don't know any more Scripture than they did the day they were saved. 
They don't take the time to memorize those verses in the Romans Road. And they don't try to take those classes that will build them up and encourage them in things of Christ. No, we're content to just be well established. I'm on the rock, preacher. I'm on the rock. It's unnatural. Not only is growth natural, but it's non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. He says, but grow in grace. It's not optional, it's required. You see, God's issuing an order, not making a request here. No suggestion. Don't you realize we've been purchased? We've been bought? In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, the Bible says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which you have of God and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. A man was traveling uh, in Paris. And while he was in Paris, he purchased a rather inexpensive amber necklace in a kind of a trinket shop. Upon returning to the States, he was curious as to the value of that necklace. So, of course, he took it to be appraised. After looking at the necklace under a magnifying glass, the jeweler looked up at him and said, Sir, I'll give you $25,000 for that necklace. And the guy was like, What? $25,000? For that little necklace? That, just that necklace? So he said, No, that's all right. Thank you anyway. And he took his necklace, he walked out, and he decided to get a second opinion. So he took it to another jeweler and the other expert examined it. And when he did, he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you 35000 for it. I'll give you ten more thousand. He couldn't believe it. Finally, he looked at the guy and he said, now listen. I've been to two jewelers. One says $25. you are all telling me you'll give me ten more thousand. I mean, what do you see that makes this necklace so valuable? The jeweler said, come on around. He came on around. He said, look through the glass. And there, right in front of his eyes, was an inscription to Josephine from Napoleon. Can you imagine that? No wonder it was so valuable. I mean, the value of the necklace came from its identification with a very famous person. That's what made it so valuable. The necklace itself wasn't worth Hardly anything, probably, but because it was associated with Napoleon, it was of great value. Do you know, as Christians, we are identified with the one, with one who is far more valuable than any man. I mean, any person in the world. Jesus Christ, Creator, the Savior of all the earth. We are identified with Him. And it's from that union that Christians find their true identity and worth. In 1 Peter 1.18 it says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And although we are of great value because of our association with Jesus Christ, we are now His property to do with as He deems necessary. And our effectiveness and Value as a servant is dependent upon our commitment to continued growth. Your value as a person is not your value as a tool in the hand of the Master. 
Don't you realize that although you are associated with Christ and you are valuable because of your association with Him, your value as a servant of Christ is totally and completely dependent upon your commitment to continued growth. If you fail to grow, you are of no value whatsoever to God in His work and service. Well, I didn't say you as a person aren't valuable. And I tell you, I'm so sick and tired of having to always tiptoe around everybody and try to make sure we don't hurt anyone's feelings and that we don't say, you're just a legalist and everything's based on what I do. I thought it was all what Jesus did. Your salvation is what Jesus did. Your service is what you do with it. When we get to heaven one day, I'm going to tell you something. Stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It won't be based on what He did on Calvary. It will be based with what you did with it. I'm going to tell you something. If you're not growing, you're not going. And if you're not going, God can't bless you as a servant. I'm not just talking about soul. I'm talking about growing in your Christian life. We talk about that fruit that comes off trees that grow. Where's your fruit? Where's it at? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Where's all that love? I don't even want to touch the souls because I'll have an argument from people that don't like to go soul winning and don't want to reach people with the gospel. So I'm going to pass on that one. Let's just talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Say, you're being sarcastic. Absolutely. Sad that we have to be that way at times. Used to be, a hundred years ago, if somebody talked about fruit, people went, i got mine sitting in the pew beside me. 1960, I'll guarantee you they did. 1970, they still did. 1980s, everything started falling apart. And now here we are today. A church that's told we're powerless in a culture that's sinful and wicked. That's a lie right out of hell. I'll tell you why we're powerless today. Not because Jesus Christ isn't on the throne and not because He doesn't have the power to save, but because we are not growing in Jesus Christ. When's the last time you prayed for an hour? Straight. When's the last time you decided to skip your favorite show and just read the Word of God extra and above your regular reading? When's the last time you actually went through and, and got a list of people that you are working with and spent, I mean, I'm talking spent a half hour or an hour and weeped and cried over those souls? And yet we think we're growing? Any Muslim prays like that and more. And yet we're Christians and we have the God of heaven on our side. And we think that just because we come to church three times a week, that's good enough. And even if we don't come three times a week, usually we think it's good enough. Now again, when I start lying, when I start saying something that's not true, you probably have reason to get a little upset. But I don't think what I'm saying is not true. I see it all around me. I see it in churches across this world, at least the country. I'll guarantee you, if you'd go over there to China and those underground churches, you'd find people that lived on their knees. 
I mean, we are commanded to grow. Not only that, but we are compelled to grow. This one, I love this one. In 1 Peter 2, would you please look there with me? 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Not only does God command us that we're to grow, grow in grace. But watch this. This is awesome. We're compelled to grow. Notice he says in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. But wait, before you can grow, what do you have to, what do you have to lay aside? Well, this is good, isn't it? I, this wasn't even on the message board. This just happened to pop up right in the Word. What do you have to lay aside before you can even grow? Before you can even drink in God's Word, you have to lay something aside. You can't grow unless you're receiving His Word. What do you have to lay aside? Right there it is. Let, let's say them together. Can we say them together here? We're, we're at that spot right there in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Wherefore, laying aside all, what all? Malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. My sentiments exactly. (laughs) Can you imagine this? Honestly, think about it. Think about this. All malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking. Once you've done that, once I've done that, now... I'm in a position to desire the sincere milk of the Word. Okay, now, watch this. That ye may grow thereby. Now, we already know that we're commanded to grow, but notice now we're going to see that we are compelled to grow. Notice the last statement. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby... If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Okay, go ahead. Lay aside the malice, all the guile, all hypocrisies, envies, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That's not a question. That's a statement. If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious and good, then lay aside those things... And desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. See, because God is gracious to us all, we are all to graciously grow. You see that? I mean, if the Lord, if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, if you can tell me today that God is good, the Lord Jesus Christ is so gracious and good to me and my family, then grow! That's what he's saying. Then grow! If he's so good, then grow! That's what he... Grow! But, 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 but... No, 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 no! If he's so good, then grow! That's what he's saying here. See, not only are we commanded to grow, but his infinite goodness compels us to grow. The Apostle Paul tells us of the love of Christ that constrains him. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 for a moment. 
2 Corinthians 5.14. There in 2 Corinthians, we read, the Apostle Paul speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. For the love of Christ constraineth us. That word constraineth means to compel or force. To urge with irresistible power or with a power sufficient to produce the effect. So again, to compel or to force us. To to urge with irresistible power. The love of Christ constraineth us, compels us, forces us, urges us with irresistible power. Notice here the love of Christ in the passage is the love which Christ has for you and for me. Not the love that I have for Him or that you have for Him. I think that's important. Now, I'm not taking away from the fact that He loved us, uh, we love Him because He first loved us. Don't misunderstand that. But hold on. What we're going to learn here is the force that constrains you, that urges you, that compels you, that, that, that causes you to do what you do in this area of growth is His love toward you, not yours toward Him. See, that constraining power of the Christian life and service is more effective and stable than it would be if it sprang from your fickle or variable affections. Let's face it, we're often found guilty of riding the emotional roller coaster in the Christian life. Up one day, down the next, encouraged one week, discouraged the next. If the constraining force of our Christian life was based upon our inconsistent emotion and fleeting feelings, then our Master would be grievously vexed, I fear. One day we'd wake up ready to read the Word of God. The next day, discouraged, and I'm just too wore out. One day, we'd find it within ourselves to muster up the courage to face the lost. The next day, well, I don't know, I'm just so weary in the work. One day, we'd rise positive, encouraged in what God is doing in our life and in the lives of others and in our church. The next critical and cynical about progress and growth if it's left up to our love that at times can be waxing and waning. But the Apostle Paul didn't say, for my love of Christ constraineth me. He said, the love of Christ constraineth us. His love for me. That's what moves me. That's what motivates me. His love for me. And every time I get out of bed and I feel like giving up, I say, I can't give up because of His love for me. Doesn't matter how I feel. All that matters is His love. Does Christ's love for you constrain you, compel you to comply with His righteous demand to grow? A man, after 25 years with one company, was still doing the same old job. He was drawing the same salary. 
And finally, he went to his boss and he told him that he, he felt he'd been somewhat neglected. I feel like I've been overlooked and neglected. After all, I, I've, been a, I've had a quarter of a century of experience here. I mean, I've got a quarter of a century of experience. His boss looked at him and said, Friend, you haven't had a quarter of a century of experience. You've had one experience for a quarter of a century. You know what? That's the sad reality in a lot of Christians' lives today, isn't it? We had one experience in the last quarter century. What prayer has God just recently answered in your life? What's He done in your life to prove that He's real? It's time that we allow the love of Christ to constrain us and in so doing, move us along in the Christian life as Christ demands. That means grow. You know we're converted to grow? We're also converted. Not only commanded, not only compelled to grow, but converted to grow. See, what's that mean? Saved. You're saved to grow. In verse 22 of our passage, we noted... It says, but Paul increased the more in strength. I I do want you to turn over there. Acts chapter 9, verse 22. It's it's too important. I want you to see this. Acts chapter 9, verse 22. See, looking at the end of that passage, chapter 9, verse 22, we need to consider the outcome of his consistent growth. Notice what his consistent growth did. What it accomplished. Notice in verse 22 of Acts chapter 9, the Bible says, But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews. We already noted that that's a spiritual growth that's taking place because physical growth took place in verse 19. Notice, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. Again, Saul increased the more in strength, which means he's growing, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. Notice this. Proving that this is very Christ. Wow. Right there is dynamite. That's dynamite. Proving that this is very Christ. See, the result of, the result of Saul's growth, both outwardly and spiritually, was that he was walk, a walking trophy of God's grace. His life changed was a testimony of the reality of Jesus Christ. Does your life and testimony prove that Christ is real, alive, and powerful? I mean, these Jews and and these men of God, quote-unquote, were convinced that their way or Judaism was correct, it was right. That Jesus was nothing more than just a mere man, a teacher, and even a heretical one. But when Paul the Apostle was converted, and he began to grow in his Christian life, and in his, in his attitude, in his outwork, outworking life, I mean, when they could see what he was doing, what God was doing in his life and for him, they said, you know what? This Jesus that he's preaching about... This Jesus that we believe to be a a fake and a phony, this Jesus that 
He has to be a... I mean, it couldn't be for real, right? This Jesus that we hung on Calvary, who we call a heretic. He is very Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the mediator. He is the Master. That's what Paul's growth brought about. That's why God saved him. So that others would see that Jesus was the very Christ. And may I say to you today that Jesus saved you for no other reason. He did not save you so you could restore your marriage. That in and of itself is not the reason you were saved. And that's not the reason why you're to grow, just so your marriage is saved. I didn't say it wouldn't be a byproduct of growth. But I'm telling you, that's not the purpose for your, your growth. The purpose for your growth in and of itself is not just so your life can be more comfortable. So that your problems are less harmful. So that your children can grow up just to be, you know, safe in the arms of Jesus. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is going to take care of us if we'll take care of what God tells us to do. And I'm going to tell you something. He saved you to be a witness and a testimony of the very Christ. He wants Christ to be res- uh, uh, exalted in your life. And that happens when you grow and I grow. No growth, no Jesus being exalted. That's as simple as it is. We, we mistake our purpose. And we mistake God's purpose for things. I, I, as much as I love what God has done in my life as a husband and as a family and, and, and as a parent and as a pastor, that's not why He saved me. He saved me so that when people look at me, they see very Christ. They see Jesus Christ lifted up and exalted. And they say, Christ is real. He's living proof of it. And that's why you were saved too. Now, if all along the way, my wife and I have a tremendous relationship, which also says the same thing, and if along the way my children grow up and have a heart and a desire for the things of Christ, then praise the Lord, it says the same thing. But in the long run, it's not about what Jesus does for me. It's about what I can do for Him. He's already saved me. He's already given me a home in heaven. He's already given me everything I could ever need. And I'm going to tell you something. He's given you the same thing. And too often we're waiting for God to solve all of our problems when in reality He already has. You make growth a priority in your life. You go ahead and prove that Jesus is the very Christ. And when you honor God, I promise you, He'll honor you. Understanding the importance of growth. How can we ensure it happens then? First of all, make sure you're in the position to grow. You've got to be saved first. You have to be saved. The Bible tells us in John 16, verse 13 and 14, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will shew you things to come, and He shall glorify, he shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine, and shall shew it unto you. 
Jesus said, listen, when I'm gone, I'm going to send the Comforter, and He's going to indwell you, and He is going to be your teacher and your guide. Let me tell you, you cannot grow without a teacher and a guide. You cannot grow without understanding and and digesting this book, the Word of God. You have to be saved because you need the Holy Spirit of God in you to accomplish that purpose. One, make sure you're in the position to grow. Number two, make sure you're in the place to grow. You know where that is, don't you? Church. I grow a little weary with people telling me what God doesn't. I don't need to go to church to worship the Lord. Are you kidding me? What, what Bible are you reading? What version is that in? I can pretty much take any version of the Bible and prove that wrong. I can even take good news from modern man and make them see that they ought to be in God's house. Are you kidding me? You don't need to be in God. Well, if I was on a desert island and didn't have a church, then you're telling me I couldn't worship the Lord? Well, go get on one and try it out for a while. I like to throw all these exceptions out all the time. You know what I mean? Well, what if I was deaf and dumb and crippled and I couldn't talk to anyone, walk or anything else? Talk to Helen Keller. She worked it out somehow. I'm just saying, I'll tell you what, we come with every excuse in the world not to obey God and His Word. Not to grow. Well, I've been saved, preacher. I just, you know, struggle a little bit with that church because, you know, church, you know, is man-made religion. Really? I thought Jesus died for the church. Since when did that become my idea? You better make sure you're in a place to grow. You know what? Every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room next Sunday morning ought to invite somebody that we're sitting next to to come back Sunday night. Every one of us tonight ought to invite somebody beside us that's not here tonight to come back next Sunday night. You know why? They can't grow unless they're in God's house. You say, well, that's a little prideful and arrogant. Who do you think you are? Oh, let's see. Last time I checked, I'm the man of God. And last time I checked, you need me. And the last time I checked, this book says so. Ephesians chapter 4. Downplay the position of pastor. He's just like any other man. Yeah, I might be just like any other man, but I am not just any other man. And you know what? There's not a pastor in Akron, Ohio today that's just any other man. If he's called of God, he's the man of God. He may put his pants on the same way you do, but he has a specific mission he's called to. We ought to respect that position and understand the necessity of it in our life and in our family. Nobody replaces the man of God in your life or home. You can't either, by the way. There's no woman in here that can take my place. There's no man in here that takes my place in your life or your family's. Because God ordained it that way. Now again, as a man, you ought to be a man and lead your family. But you're not Abraham, and neither am I. That went out back in the patriarchal age. We have a local church, and there's local church authority that God places in position. Go ahead. You decide to to be the ruler and the judge of how fast you go on the highway one day. I'm going to run 100 miles an hour. I'm in charge. And I'm going to tell my family they can too. And you can tell them that. And you know what? Maybe your child and your wife will obey dad. 
But then they'll come home with a big old fat ticket too that says you owe us hundreds of dollars and we'll see you in court. Because in reality, whether you think you're in charge or not, you're not. We are. We're called Johnny Law. Listen, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be coy. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm telling you that long enough, pastors stand in the pulpit, all timid and shy, going, um, you, you, you need to respect the pulpit and the pastor, and you need to obey him as what he says as long as it lines up with Scripture. And, and he is in a position of authority. <laughs> Waiting for books to fly. Attitudes to come unglued. Hey, listen, that is ridiculous. You know, that's why nobody's in, that's why it's so hard to get people back in church, because every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Nobody wants anybody telling them what to do today. I don't need some guy telling me I'm wrong. I don't need some guy telling me what needs change in my life. I don't need somebody telling my wife that I ought to be a certain way, or she ought to be a certain way, or my kids ought to do a certain ways. I can decide that for myself. You know what? God said, look at it, Ephesians chapter 4. Last time I checked, and, I, and by the way, when Jesus wrote this, he wasn't talking about TV ministries either. Even radio ones. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. We don't even need to go any further. Everything I just said is true. You can't be perfected. That means you can't grow without the gift. There he is. I've got to go back the other way because I want to make sure I'm even. Hey, listen, I know that sounds rough. People have a hard time with things like that today. They really do. They struggle with those things. Oh, so you think you're all that. Oh, oh, we just can't make it without you. We'll show you. I'm watching them. They're showing me every day. All I got to do is look at their lives and their marriages and their families. Hey, listen, aren't you watching? Aren't you seeing what's going on? Go ahead. Take your family out of church and see where you end up too. Go ahead. See where your children end up. I, I don't know how else to say it. Go ahead, teenager. Decide for yourself that you don't need the house of God anymore. Just go out and live how you want. Do what you please. And let's see where you end up in about five or ten years. Everybody all acting all, well, I'm just as good as the next, and I don't need nobody. Yeah, okay, let's see how it works out for you. How's that working for you? I'm not trying to be, again, I'm not trying to, I'm just a little fed up with what devil's, the devil's doing to people, how he's lying to people, how he gets them thinking somehow, and he puts their pride ahead of their, their reason. And ahead of God and His Word. He goes on to say, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay, lie in wait to deceive. He says there are people out there trying to deceive you, trip you up, and mess you up. You better stay in God's house. You better have a keen ear to the preacher. You better listen to the Word of God. You better obey the Holy Spirit. you got to keep growing. That's what he's saying. And I'm going to tell you something. Those friends that don't come to church and tell you they don't need to come back, they are wrong. They're dead wrong. 
Well, you know, I just, it's tough. Especially in the nice weather. I mean, I've got to cut the grass. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I'm telling you, they're cutting their own throat. Oh, and that's, I think, every personal, everyone makes their own decision, preacher. Yes, but you can compel them and encourage them to do the right thing and make the right decision. I understand when you're, not, when you're sick. I understand when you're not well. I realize when there are situations and circumstances that are unforeseen. I understand it all, and so does God. But I'm going to tell you something. That isn't why Christians aren't filling up churches in America today. Christians aren't filling up churches in America today because they are dead. No growth. That's why. Although the Apostle Paul experienced a glorious conversion, that conversion was not the end of his spiritual journey. As a matter of fact, we learned tonight of one of the three things. We realized a number of things, that it was a lifelong pursuit. You know, I'm going to close, but this weekend, we had the greatest time. I'm telling you what, you missed it. If you didn't get to come, you missed it. I want to encourage you to be a part of it. Friday we'll be back on, Saturday we'll be there, but we had a great time. I mean, people were having a good time, fellowshipping side by side, shoulder to shoulder, working, sweating, blood, sweat, and tears, baby. I'm telling you, it was on, and we had a great time of fellowship. Now, listen to me. I was watching these young people, and there's no lie. I'm watching some of these young people. At the end of the night, you know, while some of those older guys were dragging, (laughs) us young guys, we weren't, but these young guys, it was amazing. I'm watching them at the end of the night. They're, they're running up the aisle, uh, up the aisle, and they're, they're scaling the wall right up into the balconies. I mean, literally running, full speed, going right up into the balconies. Now listen, I don't know how in the world, that, I don't know how they did that. I, I haven't been able to do that for ten years. But, I mean, it was amazing. I was watching that, and it was like, are you kidding me? I, 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 should have t- I should have got a video of it, and I, I probably will. I'll probably, I'll probably have to this weekend because I know somebody will do it again, I'm sure. But I, I was amazed by that. Now, hold on. Here's what I want you to understand. I still remember, and, and, and Joshua and Caleb were, were two of the ones that were doing that stuff. And I know, right there. there were a couple other guys. But hold on. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know you when you were, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper. But, but I did know those guys. And here's what I want you to understand. I remember... When, when those two boys were younger. And I, I, I still remember them laying on their stomachs on the ground. Pulling themselves around. Couldn't walk, couldn't crawl, nothing. Pretty soon it came to the point where they were able to get up on their knees. And it wasn't long later that they started to crawl a little bit. It seemed like just a matter of a short few months. And next thing I know, they're pulling themselves up. Coffee tables and everything they can get their hands on. And they're standing. They're trying to stand. And they're like, and they're holding on. You know how it is. It wasn't long after that. I mean, it just seemed like it never was never ending. They went from crawling to holding on with dear for dear life to finally, 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 the Super Bowl of parenthood. The first step. Right on over. <laughs> they, they walked! They walked! They walked! Took their first step! Oh, man, I mean, it just blew up. I mean, it was like we was at the Super Bowl. 
It wasn't long after that. You know what was happening. They're starting to, you know. And then it wasn't long after that. They were walking now. And then they were walking downhill. You know how that works. They're walking downhill. They're not really on a hill, but they're like, wham, right down. You know? Pretty soon they're running. And you can't catch up to them. Hold on. It's been 20 years. 21 years. 21 years. It's been 17 years from other son. All of a sudden, I'm watching them. What? <laughs> that didn't happen overnight. That was, the that was the product of a number of years of growth. How sad would it be if that boy still was wallowing around on his stomach? Or that boy was wallowing around on his stomach? Or how sad would it be if all they could do was crawl and never grew to walk, to run, to jump, and to play? We'd all say, that's so pitiful. We feel so sorry for them, for their family. That they didn't grow. If only they would have kept growing. But they didn't. Our Heavenly Father's looking down tonight. I wonder today, are you still walling around on your belly spiritually? I didn't ask, are you going to church three times a week? I'm asking things like, have you memorized a verse of Scripture lately to overcome temptation to help others in their life? I'm saying, have you reviewed the notes and the verses that you got from a message or from your Bible reading this past week? I mean, I'm saying, did you, have you meditated upon a particular thought that you gleaned from your personal time in the Word of God lately? I mean, have you, I wonder if you spent time with other believers who are faithful and committed and whose heart is to grow in Christ. I'm just wondering, are you walling around on your stomach? Are you crawling? Are you taking your first step finally? Are you walking just gingerly? And, or are you running? And jumping and playing in God's playground called the Word of God. Amen. Let's decide to grow and accept nothing else but growth in our life. Because that's what proves that Jesus Christ is very Christ. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you've done for us. We're asking you, Lord, just to...